Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm so glad you are with me today. I'm Bill Arnold, and it is uh, the time that we're going to spend this hour uh, talking about who is this Jesus. And uh, this is a series that I've been doing with my friend Jeff Verdorn. You may know him from Guy Talk, but he's also a regular guest as well, and I'm always glad to have him on. He is a Bible teacher and has been doing that for 20 years. We're going to talk today about the resurrection of Jesus, and frankly, I can't get enough of that. Jeff, welcome to the show. Hi, Bill. Good afternoon. Yeah, and I, I love talking about the resurrection. I, I think it's something I wish we all talked about more. I, I think we do gravitate to the cross often and the sacrifice, but I love Sunday morning. It is uh, one of these truths of Christianity that without which you would not have Christianity, yes. and that's one of the things we'll talk about today. So true. So where where should we start? Well, I thought we would... The last, by the way, I think this is part six of this series, Who is This Jesus? So in the last part, part five, we talked about the atoning work of Christ on the cross, what actually happened on the cross, that he was, as John the Baptist declared, the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. Um, But that's where we left it, and I thought we'd pick up from there uh, with kind of the next question, well, where did Jesus go when he died? And then what happened three days later? So that's where I thought we'd take this session. Well, I appreciate that because I know there's a lot of people that are wondering what's going to be shared in in, in this answer to that question, where did he go? Because we hear he descended into hell. And I think, well, okay, did he? And is, is hell the right word? And we're going to talk about that today with Jeff Redorn. Jeff, let's get, uh, let's get to it. Well, that's a great place to start because the Apostles' Creed, which uh, probably a lot of our listeners grew up reciting in their churches, says exactly that, that he was con- that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell, and on the third day he rose again from the dead. So we've all had that drilled into our consciousness that Jesus descended into hell. And it's an unfortunate uh, kind of English issue that we have here. The reality is, is that where Jesus went biblically is called Hades, not hell. Hell is actually the English translation for a different Greek word or Greek concept called Gehenna. Now, Gehenna was a valley outside of the old city of David, which was really a garbage dump. And it was often smelly and burning and smoldering, and it wasn't a very pleasant place. And that is what we translate in, uh, in, from Greek into English in our English Bibles as hell, generally. The other word that we're going to describe here today is the place called Hades. Hell is basically a euphemism for a bad place. Hades is the actual name of the place where Jesus went. So we get this from Luke 16. Now, if you remember the story of Luke 16, we have Lazarus and the rich man, and both of them die, and both of them go to this place called Hades. 
Now, the description of this place called Hades has two sides. One of the sides where Lazarus goes, also called the bosom of Abraham or in comfort or in paradise, uh, they are comforted. On the other side, where the rich man goes, it says, Luke 16, 23, says he was in torment, in agony in the flames. This is the place where many of the parables end with the line where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, if you recall, Lazarus, I'm sorry, the rich man wants Lazarus to come over and dip his finger in cool water so that he could get some relief. But but it's described that, no, there's no crossing from one side of this a place called Hades to the other side. There's a great chasm in between that prevents anybody going from one side to the other. So this is not a biblical description of the Catholic doctrine of purgatory, where you can actually um, move from one side to another. This is not that at all. This is not purgatory. The other part of this, oh, and and by the way, the, the rich man then next asks Abraham, well, at least send Lazarus up to warn my family of this place so they know that this place exists so that they won't come here too. So the rich man understood his fate had been sealed. Death yeah. sealed his fate. So Jeff, the, the rich man wasn't saying, how do I get out of here? He was saying, can can I get someone to dip their finger in cool water to, to quench my thirst? So he wasn't saying, get me out of here. Great point. I mean, he obviously understood in some way shape or form, that there was no getting out of this place called torment, yeah. the one side of Hades, to get over to where Lazarus was, the good side of Hades, in comfort or in the bosom of Abraham. Mm-hmm. So now the question is, so which side did Jesus go to? Scripture clearly says that Jesus went where? Into Hades. Now, Hades is always described as in scripture, as being, for example, in the heart of the earth, in the earth below, in the depths of the earth, in the lower earthly regions, Ephesians 4, 9, under the earth, Philippians 2, 10. These are descriptions of this place. Now, I'm, I'm assuming that if we were able to drill down to the center of the earth, we wouldn't find this place called Hades, right? It's a spiritual place. And I, and I don't think there's a physical place place called Hades. It's a spiritual place. There's souls that are in this place, not physical beings. But it's always described that way. So when Jesus said this prophecy, it's in Matthew 12, he says, just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And I believe that's Hades. So when Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the world and descended into Hades, he would have gone to the righteous side, to the paradise side, to the bosom of Abraham side. And that is where I believe he was for three days and three nights. So when he said to the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise, he was referring to the good side of Hades. Mm -hmm. Now, if you recall... David also talked about this place. In Psalm 16, David says, Lord, don't abandon me in the grave. The Hebrew word there is Sheol. And this grave is the same place as Hades. Now, God knew that he was not going to abandon David in this holding place in comfort because at the right time when Christ came, died for sins, descended into Hades. He then set the captives free, 
He brings them up from the depths of the earth and leads them to now, where is the paradise of God? It's in the third heaven in the throne of God. So when Paul says, I know a man who's caught up to the paradise of God, this third heaven, he's referring to the third heaven, the paradise of God. So paradise is now in heaven. And that, when a believer dies today, is where a believer goes, to mm-hmm. heaven. Mm-hmm. I know there's been a talk, I think it's out of First Peter 3.19, that you know teaches that Jesus went to hell to preach to the lost souls. And that, that might be a whole nother discussion, but I, I, I did remember that. No, that's very much related. So uh, some misunderstand, I believe, what this verse is saying. He, he went to preach to the souls in prison, meaning he went down to Hades, and everybody in Hades would have known it, both on the good side and on the bad side. And he proclaimed to the dead, I am the Christ. I have conquered death and sin and Hades, and I am going to take all these over here uh, on this side, in the good side, with me up into heaven. And, uh, and so it's not preaching unto salvation. It wasn't an opportunity for those on the bad side to be saved and, and go with him. No, he's proclaiming to those in prison who he is and what he has done. That's what I believe First Peter 3.19 says. Okay. Jeff Redorn is my guest. We're continuing our series on who is this Jesus. And today we're talking about the resurrection. And I love, I love this. Um, we're going to go to break just in a couple of minutes, Jeff. But um, as we talk about Jesus descending into hell, it's a very, uh, I appreciate the distinction of it um, being Hades with a, a righteous side and a torment side. And I think that helps us understand that that you know what was what was Jesus doing during those three days? Was he was he in a conscious state? And it sounds like he was on the righteous side and declaring victory. Um, sounds conscious to me, right? Sounds very conscious to me. Yes. Yeah, and and so Lazarus and the rich man were having a conversation along with Abraham, and that all sounds conscious. This idea of soul sleep when we die, I, I just don't see the evidence of it in Scripture. In fact, I see just the opposite, that there is a conscious awareness when we die of either being in paradise, now today in heaven, or in the torment side of Hades. The rich man was very much aware of his circumstances and wanted his family to be warned about it. The other kind of, I think, bad teaching is that Jesus had to descend into hell and somehow be tormented by Satan who rules hell in some mm-hmm. way. Yeah. That's, that's also not accurate. He, he, his, his work, his payment for sin was completed on the cross Yeah, and it was done. It was finished. Yeah. Okay, Jeff, uh, I have to tell you a very delicious question just came in and it would mm. derail us for the rest of the hour. because I know how this is going to excite you. And it's this, this sounds nitpicky uh, and there's already a sorry, but how does, how does the three days and three nights fit with Friday afternoon to Sunday morning? (laughs) (laughs) We've got an hour on that, don't we? We have a full hour on that and we do it every year, uh, the week of Easter. So uh, I bet we can uh, get this uh, listener, Michael, uh, a link to that hour because it is a fascinating hour. Can we summarize it just briefly when we come back? Uh, yeah, of course we can. Yeah, let me take okay. a short break. Uh, Jeff Dorn is my guest as we continue our series on Who Is This Jesus? Today we're focusing on resurrection. I love it. I'll be right back.
Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting MyFaithRadio.com. The way they keep on telling me time and time again, boy, you never win. You never win. But the voice of truth Welcome to the show. I'm so glad to have my friend Jeff Verdorn as my guest. I should say his name more slowly, Jeff Verdorn. And we are uh, in our series of Who Is This Jesus? This is, I think, our sixth episode. So if you missed any of it, I think you can go to MyFaithRadio.com and check it out. Um, Getting some nice comments, Jeff. I got a comment that says, Go, Jeff, go. I remember the Mm. Easter program. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that question is just such a wonderful question. I, too, remember sitting in church, probably some Easter, when I was in junior high, and heard this prophecy that Jesus would be three days and three nights uh, in the heart of the earth. And I'm sitting there on my fingers going, uh, Friday, Saturday night, Saturday. wait a minute here, that doesn't work. And it's like, oh, well, I guess I'm just, you know, the laity. I don't understand this. And it wasn't probably 25 years later that I started studying this issue on my own and piecing together all of the accounts recorded in the Gospels that have any uh, time reference associated with them. Mm -hmm. So starting from Sunday, we know that Jesus entered Jerusalem on a donkey on a Sunday. He then went to the temple. There's a description of him cursing the fig tree. He goes out of the city. He teaches parables. Um, at, there's the Olivet Discourse, and then the Last Supper, and then, of course, the arrest and, uh, and crucifixion. Well, there's a couple of key passages, and I'll just use one uh, to, to whet the appetite for this longer teaching that we do every year. When, the, when Jesus was arrested, they brought him to Pilate. But it says in John 18, 28, that the Jews did not enter the palace because they wanted to be clean to be able to eat the Passover, meaning the Passover hadn't happened yet. Mm -hmm. The key to understanding the timing of the final week is understanding the timing of the Jewish Passover. And in 32 AD, that Passover lamb would have been slaughtered late in the afternoon on Thursday and the Passover meal eaten that evening, which is technically the next day on the Jewish calendar. Well, I believe scripture points that Jesus, the Lamb of God, at the exact same time that all of Israel was sacrificing their lambs for that Passover, was dying on the cross for the sins of the world as God's Passover lamb. And then, of course, three days and three nights from Thursday afternoon You have Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, three Mm -hmm. nights. But the prophecy is three days and three nights, so you need three days. Thursday, Friday, Saturday. No Sunday day because Scripture declares that before first light, the tomb was already opened. Oof. And he had already resurrected. So there, I think that's where you get the three days and three nights. I don't want want this many chills in September. I want to wait for <laughs> Easter week. Let's get back to uh, our talk of resurrection. Um, so thank you for that tease, though. It was wonderful. Yeah, it's, um, 
you know, tradition is a powerful thing, and there's many people who have come to the same conclusion. Yeah. But tradition is just a powerful thing. So yeah. That's, uh, yeah. So we'll talk about that next Easter. Again. All right. Uh, getting back to resurrection, let's talk about resurrection appearances. Very critical. Yeah. So Scripture records a number of uh, appearances that Christ appeared to many over the next 40 days after he descended into Hades, rose again, and then he walked around on earth. So we see it uh, in John 20 with Mary Magdalene. Uh, We see it with the other Mary. We see it with Simon Peter on the shores of the Galilee. Uh, We see it on the road to Emmaus. One of the the great stories of Scripture is in Luke 24, where uh, two men are on the road to Emmaus, and they're walking, and Jesus walks up and starts walking with them. And he says, basically, hey, guys, what's going on? And they say, well, where have you been? Haven't you heard? I mean, it, they make it sound like everybody in the city knew about Jesus, knew about his crucifixion. And they say, and now it's been three days. And there's even some reports that some people have seen Jesus and, and they just didn't know what to think about it. So Jesus, it says in scripture, began to explain to them all that needed to be fulfilled in the scriptures about himself. And it's like, oh, that conversation is not recorded in scriptures, but man, that would have been a great conversation to hear. Mm. And then, of course, he meets with the 11 uh, in the upper room where he actually appears behind a locked door and uh, to, to 11 to the disciples. Uh, so somehow in his glorified body, he just appears in this room. By the way, he disappears and just is gone from the two men on the road to Emmaus. Um, and then he appears with the 11 plus Thomas, and I want to talk about that in a moment here. Um, and, and then over 500 people saw the risen Jesus Christ, culminating 40 days later in Acts chapter 1 when he ascended up to heaven. Um, and so the, the disciples were gathered there, and he says, you are going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, so wait in Jerusalem and they watch him literally, physically, bodily rise up to heaven. Wow. And as they are staring up in the clouds, some angels appear and say, men of Galilee, they say, why do you stand here looking at the sky? And, and I kind of want to respond, well, well, didn't you see what just happened? Jesus just went up to heaven. I've never <laughs> seen a man do that before. But of course, he's in his glorified body, so he could do that. And the angels say to him, to the disciples, that he will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Now, I've stood on the Mount of Olives, and it's a very powerful sight because you're standing across the Kidron Valley from the Temple Mount, overlooking old Jerusalem, the city of David, and the Temple Mount area, and you're standing on the very spot, well, I don't know the exact spot, that Jesus went up to heaven, and Scripture declares in Zechariah that Jesus, when he comes back, We'll come back to that same spot. And so it's a very meaningful and significant spot, Mount of Olives. Mm. So good. All right, Jeff, we're going to take a break here in about mm, three minutes or so. And I I did get a question from a listener, and because I can't recall it, it's bugging me. So (laughs) I want to go back to Easter week and the crucifixion and remind me again— because Jesus says to his disciples, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you. 
Yes, that is one of the passages. So on my on my final week chart, that is actually listed. And here's how I understand that, because the Passover has not been eaten, eaten yet, eaten, eaten yet. <laughs> the Last Supper was not the Passover meal. So the Last Supper would have been would have been on Wednesday evening on our calendar. It actually would have been Nisan the 14th the next day because it was after sundown. But the Last Supper was not the Passover. The Passover, the only things mentioned at the Last Supper were the bread and the wine. What's the main element at the Passover meal? The lamb. Well, that's the lamb, of course. The sacrifice There's no lamb. mention. That's yeah. right. And so it was. it also says in John 13 that it was before the Passover feast meaning yet future, when the evening meal was served. That's the Last Supper. Um, and and finally, Jesus tells Judas, if you recall, when he's going to betray him, go and buy what is needed for the feast, meaning go buy what will be needed for the feast, which would have been eaten the next evening, the next night, not that night. Mm-hmm. So when he says, I've desired to eat this Passover with you, he's talking about the next evening. The Last Supper is the night before the Passover meal. Mm-hmm. So he's just saying, hey, I, I want to eat this Passover with you, like he had done the three previous Passovers, but he's not going to. And the reason he's not going to is because he's going to die on the cross for the sins of the world. Gotcha. Jeff Dorn is my guest. We're talking about the resurrection today. This is in our series of Who is This Jesus? Let's talk about the glorified body that Jesus had did he have all of his scars? Did he have all the the stripes from the beatings on his back when the crown of thorns went on his head and, and chewed up his head? Were those scars visible as well? What did he look like in this glorified body? And I know it's speculation, but what do you think? Well, what do we know about his glorified body? We know that it was changed. He moved from being having an earthly body to having a glorified body. And yet men came along and touched him. Mary grabbed on to him. Uh, he spoke with people. He ate with people. Um, and yet he disappeared from two men and appeared in a locked room and ascended in the clouds. So this glorified body is obviously very different from our physical earthly body. But were his wounds, this is, a, this is actually a very interesting discussion because tradition says that the marks on his hands, actually his wrists and his feet, and the piercing in his side were still there in his resurrected, glorified body. And I ask, well, that's what tradition says. And we get that from the story of Thomas, which maybe when we get back from break, we'll go through that to get more specific on, on what we're talking about. But what about all of his other scars? Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, Jesus would have had the crown of thorn on his head. He would have been beaten. He had his beard pulled out. I mean, this just gets gruesome to think about what his physical body would have looked like. He was scourged. His entire body would have been ripped apart. Well, it said he was beaten beyond recognition, and i got to leave it there. We'll come back and continue our discussion with Jeff Verdorn on Who Is This Jesus? Today we're talking about the resurrection. When we come back, we're going to talk about what his body might have looked like and what scars were still there. We'll take a short break and be right back. Afternoon show with Bill Arno, Drive Time, Drive Time, the 
let's get it started. Jump in your car. Yeah. What's for dinner? Hey. It's the afternoon show with Bill Arnold. Welcome to the show. I'm glad you are with us today. Uh, I've got Jeff Verdorn as my guest, and we're talking today about the resurrection of Jesus. And we're in a series called Who Is This Jesus? And I think this is part six. So if you like what you're hearing today, there's five other episodes that chronicle the history of uh, the life of Jesus. And Jeff has done a nice job uh, handling each topic along the way. And this is getting a little dicey, Jeff, because we're going to talk about the scars that Jesus has. I know this can be a little bit of a playful conversation we're going to have because we don't know for sure, but we're just going to have a discussion on it. It is. It's something that uh, came up for me about a year ago or maybe a couple of years ago. And obviously the traditional answer is Jesus still had these five marks, the piercings on his hands and feet and the, the pierce through his side. And because in John 20, it says that Thomas was with him And though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting, Thomas, and believe. Mm -hmm. And so we read that and say, Oh, because earlier in that chapter, Thomas was saying, I'm not going to believe until I see Jesus and put my finger into his side where he was pierced, right? Mm -hmm. And so here's the issue. Here's the the core of the issue, and it's kind of an interesting discussion. The word into in Greek can mean into or onto. And so when Thomas said, I'm not going to believe until I stick my finger into Jesus' side, I think he was actually saying, I'm not going to believe until I stick my finger into his side. But when Jesus reaches out his hand to Thomas and says, put your hand here. I think he's saying onto my side, stop doubting Thomas and believe. So I think the earlier conversation that we had about what about all of the other scars and why would these scars alone be left over after the, the crucifixion? You see what I'm saying? Why would just these five holes still be there? Mm-hmm. Why not all of the other ones? So Thomas had to see to believe. We don't have that opportunity today. We, here's the core of the message. John 20, 29, Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Not Notice what he doesn't say. It doesn't say, because you put your finger into my side, you've believed. Jesus is telling them, because you have seen me you believe. Mm-hmm. So when we read that Jesus was beaten beyond recognition and he was uh, beaten with the, 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 thir- the 39, the 40 lashes, the, uh, those whips they used with the pieces of metal and glass and it would shred his flesh. Um, Absolutely. And then the scar scourging, the beating with clubs, the crown of thorns, the ripping out of the beard. So his new body has had some changes. And why do we continue to think that his glorified body might not be perfect? Because do, you know, we, what? do we need evidence in heaven? Do we get to see the, the nail marks in his hands and feet in heaven and go, 
okay, it really did happen. Yeah, like seeing Jesus alive again isn't enough evidence. You're, you're not going to believe until you actually stick your finger in. When you can think about it, that's actually kind of gross. To it's kind of gross. It, yeah, yeah it's, it's kind of like, okay, you're going to stick your finger into my side. Ugh. But uh, of course, his body was changed. What's sown perishable is raised imperishable. What's sown in mortality is raised in immortality. Mm-hmm. So the resurrection body, 1 Corinthians 15, describes the resurrection body. And it's it's perfect. You know, one of the questions that I get often in my end times classes, well, well, I still have my scars in my glorified body. And if Jesus had his scars, or at least some of his scars, then, well, then how do we answer that question? Are you going to have your scars? And I, I, I always well, I answer, no, no, I, I don't have think. no scars, Jeff. So you don't have any scars? No, but I mean, I'm just saying if you had like your appendix taken out or open heart surgery, right. those are, or knee surgery, you may have some significant scars. And the question we're asking is, are you going to still have your knee surgery scars in heaven? And that's exactly my right. guess would be if you've got your glorified body, uh, there's going to be mm, nothing but perfection going there. That's my guess. So the question, so how I've answered that question over the years is, well, I think these scars are a little bit different. They're, they're, they're more meaningful or something. I mean, I, I had to answer it in some way, shape, sure. or form, right? That, right. Why does Jesus still have his scars if we're not going to have our scars? But remember, he doesn't have all of his scars. He only has some of his scars, according to the traditional view. Right. Or Thomas was was demanding to put his finger in Jesus, and Jesus said, here, put your hand on my side. Look at me. I'm completely healed. Now that you've seen me, you believe. Mm-hmm. And in his glorified, resurrected body, he now has a perfect body. Now, the only other kind of, there's one other aspect to this, is that in, in Revelation chapter 5, John is in heaven, and he sees Jesus, and he describes him as the lamb standing as if slain. But remember, it's in John, the book of John, John chapter 1, where Jesus is described as the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so now he's seen as the lamb as if he's been slain. Mm-hmm. Regardless, just because you have a hole on your side doesn't make you look like a lamb that was slain. I think this is imagery to describe that this is the crucified, resurrected Christ. So, mm-hmm. um, well, when, but it's, it's one of these interesting discussions. Yeah, when, G- when Jesus says to Thomas, put your hand into my side, and the Greek word could mean into or onto or near, so he might have said, let me see. The next thing we hear is my Lord and my God from, from Thomas. Mm-hmm. Scripture didn't say, then Thomas reached out and put his hand in his side and thought it was uh, kind of weird, but sure enough, then he believed. I'm going, you've got the resurrected Jesus in front of you. Exactly. And that should be evidence enough. And by the way, it was because Thomas believed. Mm-hmm. And I think it's doubting Thomas was the one demanding to stick a finger in, in a, in a, in, you know, in a, in a way where he was demanding the evidence of the resurrection. Now remember, Mary and others, we have all these resurrection appearances. They saw Jesus. They, 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 they. If, if he would have come out with all of his scars on him, all beaten and battered and everything, 
And Mary was thinking that he was the gardener. And if she would have seen this body come out of the tomb as it went into the tomb, she would have recognized that it was Jesus right away. Oh, it's my Jesus all beaten and battered beyond recognition coming out of the grave. But that's not what she saw. She saw a healthy man that she assumed at the time was the gardener. Yeah, right. And then the truth of who he was was revealed to her. And then she went and grabbed him. And Jesus says, uh, don't, don't hold me. Don't, uh, well, how does the verse go, Jeff? Yeah, don't, don't cling don't to cling me. To don't me, hold yeah. on to yeah, me. Yeah, don't hold on to me because I haven't yet ascended to my father. Let's talk about that. This is another kind of interesting one where some teach that G- Mary actually didn't touch Jesus. She wasn't allowed to touch Jesus until he ascended to the father. I just think the timing of his ascension is uh, is told to us in Scripture. I think Jesus rose from the dead, walked on the earth for 40 days, and ascended and in Acts chapter 1. It, he's not saying to Mary, you can't touch me yet, like you can't physically make contact with me. He's saying, you, you think you have me back, Mary. You're clinging to me because now I'm alive again. And you think now that you have me back alive again. And that's not actually what's happening. He says, but I tell you the truth. It is for your good, he says this earlier in in the book of John, that I am going away because unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go away, I will send him to you. I think what Jesus was telling Mary is, I know you think you've got me back, but you really don't. Mm -hmm. I'm only going to be here for a short period of time, and then I'm going to go and ascend to my Father. And you should actually be happy that I'm going to ascend to my Father. That that is a good thing, because once I ascend to my Father, I will send you another, the Comforter, the Counselor, and he will be in you and live in you and be with you forever, and you will have this new birth, this, this new creation that can only happen after I send up to the Father. Mm. I think that's what he's saying. Yeah, Jesus' perfect plan. Mm. She just didn't understand it at the time. She didn't. She thought she had her Jesus back. Right, right. All right, let's uh, talk about the ascension. We learn about that in Acts chapter 1. We do. So that ascension, like we described, is uh, is in Acts chapter 1. That is when Jesus goes up to heaven. We talked about the Mount of Olives earlier and so on. And so that that sequence of events that we just described over the last uh, 40 minutes or so is we talked about his death last time, his atoning work on the cross. He was descended into Hades. He was there three days and three nights, just as he predicted, just as he told them. By the way, the the disciples should not have been surprised that Jesus was going to die, um, uh, be buried, and rise again after three days. He actually tells them many, many times in Scripture. In fact, this is one of my lists that I that I love. You know, I love to create lists, right? Well, all the places where Jesus tells his disciples that he is going to be turned over to the Gentiles, persecuted, put to death, but rise again on the on the third day. He says it often to yeah. Them. And uh, so they shouldn't have been surprised. So he rises from the dead. Uh, he, he walks the earth for 40 days. He appears to Mary, to Thomas, and all the rest. And then in Acts chapter 1, he ascends. But let's, let's move now to the evidences or, or how we think about this. Because as we said at the beginning of the hour, 
without the resurrection of Christ from the dead, there is no Christianity. First uh, Corinthians makes that clear, where it, it says that that if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, Paul says, we are found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified that God raised Christ from the dead. But if Christ has not been raised, then you also won't be raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still dead in your sins. So there is no Christianity without this idea of Christ rising from the dead. So how how can we be sure that this event in history actually happened some 2,000 years ago? And there's many a scholars who have set pen to paper to describe and outline some of the evidences that can show us beyond a reasonable doubt, beyond what Scripture actually says, because that's testimony number one, that God says that Christ rose from the dead. Uh, but what are some of the other lines of thinking? Well, let's let's discuss those when we come back from break. Jeff Verdorn is my guest, and we will continue our discussion on the resurrection of Jesus in our series of Who Is This Jesus? We'll be right back. so much for listening to Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Hey, I'm Susie Larson. If you enjoy what you're finding here, consider subscribing to some of our other Faith Radio podcasts, like mine, for instance. You can search Susie Larson Live at MyFaithRadio.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hit subscribe and have a great day. Welcome back to the show. Jeff Verdorn is my guest, and it's not Jeff Redorn. It's Jeff Verdorn. I always want to say that every once in a while, just because a little bit of a tricky name, V-E-R-D-O-O-R-N. There you go. Got it. I did spell it correctly. I'm very proud of myself right now, Jeff. So let's talk I about... I like Jeffrey, Jeffrey Dorn. I kind of like that. It could be your alias. But it's not my name. It's not my could name. could be your alias, though. Anyway... Let's talk about the evidence of the resurrection, because that is probably the most verifiable event in world history. Indeed. Um, and many books have been written on this subject. Uh, one of my favorites is Evidence That Demands a Verdict by Josh McDowell. He has a number uh, of a comprehensive list, we'll say, of evidences to, to make the reader understand that this is not just a, a story written in a book. There's lots of reasons why we can come to the conclusion that this actually occurred in human history. And number one is the fact that the tomb was empty. The Roman seal was broken, uh, which would have uh, been a death penalty if you had broken a Roman seal. And even the Jewish authorities believed that the tomb was empty. That's why they planned to lie about it, saying that the body was stolen, Matthew 28, 13 says. So number one is the tomb was actually empty. We have eyewitnesses' accounts to that, and even the people that crucified Jesus understood that the tomb was empty. Number two is the resurrection appearances. We've listed those out. There are seven or eight different resurrection appearances over the course of 40 days. Hundreds and hundreds of people would have seen the risen Jesus Christ after he came out of the tomb. And many of those 
eyewitness accounts are recorded in Scripture, but obviously most are not. But remember, the New Testament, which describes this resurrection of the dead, of Jesus, would have been written in the lifetime of all these people. If they would have disagreed or argued that, in fact, he wasn't raised from the dead, we would have had all these other writings contending uh, to counter the truth of the Gospels that were written and being passed around the early church. Other people would have said, no, 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 that didn't happen. Mm -hmm. We just don't have that. Jeff, could you imagine me writing a book on the history of New York City and leaving out the 9-11 episode? Mm, No. I mean, how well would that book sell? Yeah. You'd, you'd miss the one of the central events of the city. Well, it would get panned so fast, and it would be uh, destroyed by people saying, oh, don't buy that book. It's it left out one of the most significant events in New York history. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. The next category is the disciples and their transformation. Before, I'm sorry, after the crucifixion, they were frightened and they were hiding. They were scared. The disciples after the resurrection, became bold preachers of this resurrection, even unto death. History and tradition says that that uh, all but one, all but John, were killed for their faith in some way. Tradition says that Peter was actually crucified upside down because he didn't feel worthy to be crucified in the same way that his Lord was. They became bold witnesses. I would argue, and logic confirms, that no one ever dies for a lie that they know is a lie. If the disciples didn't believe that Jesus rose from the dead and they would have firsthand account to know whether or not that was true or not, you never die for a lie, but you die for what you believe is true. And most of them did just that. Thomas the skeptic we talked about. Yeah. Um, If the story was made up of this resurrection, why would the authors put in a story of one of his own, his own 12, doubting this very thing of the resurrection? And yet we have this story of Thomas doubting the resurrection, and it's there. By the way, we also have the fact that there were women who found, who, who, who encountered the resurrected Jesus first. The testimony of a woman in the first century was much less than a man. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't accepted in, in, trials and a court of laws and so on. It couldn't be relied upon in the first century. And yet we have women who are the first witnesses to the resurrection. You, if you were making up the story, you wouldn't write it that way. Um, one of the other evidences is the transformation of Saul of Tarsus. Here is a Pharisee that was transformed after encountering the risen Jesus Christ from being a strong adversary of Christianity, even participating in the stoning of Stephen uh, to being one of Christianity's most uh, devoted adherents. Uh, Saul moved from being an enemy of Christianity to being its chief spokesman because he encountered the risen Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, things I got a few more here. Okay. Um, things like the emergence of the Christian church within a few hundred years, Christianity was dominant in the Roman Empire, and in 2,000 years later, Christianity is still dominant in Western civilization. Uh, things like the fact that we now worship on a Sunday, the Lord's Day, Resurrection Day. All these early Jews would have been accustomed to going to the synagogue on the Sabbath, which is Saturday, sundown Friday to sundown Saturday. But for some reason, these thousands and thousands of early believers, Jewish believers, started meeting on Sunday, the Lord's Day. And as we talked about earlier 
Jesus confirmed that he was who he said he was because he told his disciples, kill this, kill me, and after three days I will rise again. Destroy this temple, meaning his body, and I will raise it again in three days. Brooke Foss Westcott said this of the resurrection, ranking all the evidences together. It is not too much to say that there is no historic incident better or more variously supported than the resurrection of Christ. Nothing but the assumption that it must be false could have suggested the idea of deficiency in the proof of it. Mm -hmm. Meaning there's few other incidences in all of history that's more supported than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Jeff, I want to be very kind right now to Mary and the women who went to the tomb early that morning to continue the the burial process, uh, only to find out that it was empty. But if they heard Jesus say, I will die, and on the third day I will rise again, and they heard, on the third day I will rise again, maybe they were looking for the wrong Jesus because they were going to dress the dead body. They were. They obviously heard uh, multiple times in all the Gospels, Jesus uh, says what is going to take place, Uh, just like the prophecy of Jonah, uh, that three days and three nights he'll be in the heart of the earth, but then he'll come out, he'll rise again. And, you know, we get glimpses that there was some understanding of this. For example, the two men on the road to Emmaus, uh, we're saying, well, you know what, it's been three days and some people, the women report that they've seen him, but uh, we don't know that we believe it yet. And they should have, shouldn't they? Mm-hmm. Um, but you're right. I don't think we want to be too hard oh, on oh. any of them. Yeah, not Because at all. no one had ever risen from the grave before. No one. In well, fact, there is no person in history, no religious figure, no founder of any religious system anywhere in time throughout the world that claims to have risen from the dead. Yeah. That is a unique thing of Jesus well, Christ. Well, yeah, but we did see Jesus bring some back to life, so maybe somebody saw a resurrection from the dead, but it was by the power of Jesus or maybe one of the um, episodes that we read about in Scripture where Jesus brought someone back from the dead. Great question, because what about Lazarus and some of the others that broke out of their tombs sure. when Jesus was crucified? And some of these other, uh, Paul resurrected a child who uh, fell asleep while he was preaching. How'd you like that hanging over your I head? I don't know. Yeah, that'd yeah. be tough. Um, so what is that? Well, those are not resurrections. Jesus rose again to his glorified body. Oh, okay. Lazarus was brought back to life in his earthly body. So Lazarus was more of a resuscitation back to life in his earthly, physical body. Jesus was raised to his glorified body. Yeah. And by the way, this glorification, he's the firstborn of all creation. And if he's the first, there's going to be more. Jesus's resurrected body has been promised to us as well. Romans 6 says, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. He will give life to our mortal bodies, Romans 8. Uh, We will be conformed to the likeness of his sons, Romans 8, 29. He will raise us also. We shall bear his likeness. He will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his body, Philippians 3, 21. We will appear with him in glory. So one of the great promises is that this, this body, which is wasting away, Did you know that your body is wasting away? Unfortunately, I do. 
Yeah, we all do. We all know that. This is a temporary dwelling. In fact, Paul calls it the tent of our body. We have a permanent, everlasting, glorified body waiting for us just as Jesus received his glorified body. So too, every believer in Christ Jesus will be glorified just like Christ. Mm-hmm. Jeff, we uh, appreciate this hour. I know there's more to talk about. I, maybe when the next time we have episode seven, we can start by revisiting this for five or eight minutes because I know there's still a little bit of cleanup I'd like to do and maybe another question or two about you know our future resurrection, what maybe happens at the rapture. Um, so maybe we can cover that as a way of tying a, a knot or a bow on this little box. Perfect. That sounds good. Because we, like you said at the beginning, we can't talk about the resurrection too much. I, I agree. I agree. So thank you so much for the teaching today, and thank you for uh, being a faithful uh, guest and friend of mine for the show. I appreciate it very much. You bet, Bill. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. Jeff Verdorn has been my guest, and he uh, is in our series on Who Is This Jesus? I believe that was episode five or six. And that is all the show we have for today. I want to thank all of my guests, Rob Bluey, who got the day started, Dr. Alex McFarland, who uh, answered my new friend, uh, Same Seven Questions list, and Jeff Verdorn, who talked about the resurrection. If you heard anything today that you want to send to a friend, the best way to do that is to go to MyFaithRadio.com and go to the website, the Afternoon with Bill show page, and you can click the link and send it away. And then some friend of yours will get it and you can talk about it later. Have a great night, everyone. I look forward to being with you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.